Welcome to the Democracy Dispatch podcast. I'm Justin Marsh, political director at Vermont Conservation Voters. This is your weekly scoop on legislative action as we work to push forward environmental policies for Vermont. Each Monday, we will take a look back at the week prior, preview the week ahead, and speak with legislators and advocates on topics affecting our air, water, open space, and quality of life. We are back and welcome to season two. We wrapped up our inaugural season back in May with a conversation with Speaker of the House Jill Krowinski, which recaps a lot of the work that the legislature achieved in its first year of the session. You can revisit that episode for a more comprehensive look back and refresher. Then we dropped a special episode in July in response to the catastrophic flooding that ripped through much of Vermont. That served as part one of a conversation that will continue today. Returning to the podcast is Representative Dan Noyes, who I spoke with in July. He represents the Lamoille County towns of Belvedere, Hyde Park, Wolcott, and Johnson, the latter of which was severely hit. He and I walked the streets of Johnson to assess cleanup efforts and talk strategies for the future, and he joins us later to give an update on progress and how his communities are recovering and responding to future flooding threats, like the ones we just experienced weeks ago. Joining our conversation will be Representative Kelly Payala, an independent who represents four towns in the Southern Green Mountains at the convening of Wyndham, Windsor, and Bennington counties. She resides in Londonderry, where she also serves as town clerk. She was unable to join us for the conversation in July because she herself was impacted personally by the flooding, being displaced from her home, and also occupied with helping her fellow community members recover. They will both join me later in this episode. First, I want to bring Lauren Hurl, Executive Director of Vermont Conservation Voters, into the fold for our session shakedown segment. For those new here, we start off each episode with a recap of the week in the State House and give a preview of what is in store. Hi, Lauren, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be back. Another year, another session. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen you a bunch, of course, but for listeners who might not know, you serve on the City Council of Montpelier, one of the hardest hit downtowns uh, by the summer flooding event. How is Montpelier handling the recovery efforts and just sort of walk us through what the last six months has been like? Yeah, it was obviously a really hard summer. Um, You know, I mean, as someone who's worked on climate change for decades, it's just so different to have your community just devastated by a climate disaster and living through that and just seeing the heartbreak and hardship that it creates for people. So it was, you know, obviously a really hard summer and there were the really inspiring moments of, I mean, in in town here, we had literally like a couple thousand people sign up to volunteer and people were out helping neighbors, you know, all that that I know happens all over Vermont. So that was a real bright spot. And if you walk down downtown Montpelier now, it's really amazing how many businesses have reopened and all of that. And you still talk to people, the business owners, the homeowners that were impacted, and there's still so much hurt, both financial, emotional, you know, people are still really struggling. So that's going to be a critical lens in the state house of, you know, what are we doing to help communities, to help individuals, to help our small businesses, and how are we doing everything we can to reduce the risk of this flooding for communities all over the state? Yeah, I'm sure it's 
probably at times really helpful to be so in tune with what's happening in the state house while you're serving on city council and, and kind of vice versa. But a, a large portion, portion of the policies that we're advocating for this year have climate resiliency baked right into them. Like, how are these policies addressing really resiliency? Yeah, we, we really are focused um, a ton this year, you know, understandably on looking at how we can, for example, reduce the risk of flooding um, in communities. And so I do think that personal experience of living through that in our town and seeing the kinds of impacts is just is going to be really energizing and impactful to bring those stories to the state house. So, you know, looking at things like how we manage our rivers, um, how are we raising money so that we can um, invest in communities and infrastructure that can withstand more extreme weather that we know is going to just continue ratcheting up. So, yeah, having that that local perspective on what it really means when we don't have that kind of resilience um, built into our communities is going to be really important. Yeah, well, the legislature will certainly have its hands full, and it feels yeah. very much like they've already hit the ground running. Uh, how does the second year of a biennium kind of differ from from where we were last year in January? Yeah, so when coming into the second year, it's really in many ways a lot smoother because in the first year you have just come out of elections, you're setting up new committees, uh, you know, there's a lot of new folks, so they're getting used to, you know, how does this whole system work? So in the second year, you can really just get in, get right into, uh, you know, the business of legislating. So just uh, we're recording this on, on Friday and just today there was already a hearing where we were walking through a bill and talking about um, having some witnesses talking about some of the measures to better protect our rivers and wetlands and um, dam safety. And so, you know, that would never happen in the first year of a biennium that you're already kind of get walking through bills and getting right into to legislating. So so it's kind of exciting. We can get to work. Yeah. And we've we've already seen some action. So last Thursday, uh, the House voted to override the governor's veto of H-158, which is better known as a modernized bottle bill. The bill expands the 51-year-old Vermont law that requires a deposit for some beverages upon purchase that can later be returned for redemption, allowing more containers to be included in the law. We anticipate an override vote in the Senate in the coming weeks. And then, of course, this week on Wednesday, we'll be unveiling the 2024 Environmental Common Agenda. Uh, What's the agenda all about? How is it created? And can you preview a little bit about what's included? Yeah, the Common Agenda has been a long-time project of Vermont conservation voters, and the goal of it is to really work with all of the organizations that are part of the environmental community that do state-level advocacy. Um, You know, everyone's got all kinds of great ideas and different initiatives, um, but we really need to, among ourselves, focus in on what are the big priorities for this year? What are the things that we really view as ready for action and we don't want to leave the session without making progress on. So we kind of view the VCV role as helping shepherd through a process of talking with um, this year, we talked with more than 20 organizations to shape the common agenda to really identify what are those top tier kind of must pass things that we can then make sure that we're keeping a focus on um, and making sure that lawmakers are making progress on. Awesome. And you can access the Common Agenda now on our website, vermontconservationvoters.org. 
Before I let you go, we partner with our friends at Vermont Natural Resources Council each Friday for a short video series counterpart to this, and it's called The Climate Dispatch, which usually highly features you. Uh, what did you cover in that this week, and where can folks find that? Yeah, so Climate Dispatch, um, you can sign up for an email list and get it delivered directly to your mailbox. Um, or if you're on the Vermont Conservation Voters email list, uh, that goes out regularly as well and is up on the VCV website. And this week, we were really focusing in on some of those big common agenda priorities for the year. Uh, one is looking at, uh, again, our climate resilience. So how are we better protecting rivers, streams, wetlands, and improving dam safety? Um, and an important part of resilience is going to be how are we uh, funding this? How are we making the investments that we need in resilient infrastructure and dealing with a changing climate? There is a policy uh, that we shorthand as make big oil pay. This is a climate super fund bill that is asking the largest fossil fuel companies to um, start helping pay for the damage that has been caused by their products due to the changing climate. Uh, so that we talked about that a bit. We also talked about um, updates to the renewable energy standard so we can have a cleaner electric grid. Um, I think those were the big ones that we covered. So there, there are other things that are part of the common agenda that are going to be big topics. Like um, there's a lot of momentum coming into this year on modernizing Act 250, a, a many year conversation. But I think there have been some really exciting breakthroughs. Um, and kind of the last big category is um, some more health related issues like banning toxic chemicals like PFAS, uh, continuing our work on that and neonicotinoid treated seeds. Uh, and a healthy democracy. So that kind of rounds out the, the common agenda. And you can hear more about those uh, really climate-focused ones in the Climate Dispatch. Well, awesome. Thanks for the catch-up. Next week, we will reintroduce the Deep Dive segment where you chat with a legislator uh, for more information on the specific policy that we're watching. So stay tuned for that. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks. Great to be back. And now it's time for my interview with Representatives Noyes and Paella. Representative Dan Noyes is a Democrat from Wolcott who also represents the towns of Belvedere, Johnson, and Hyde Park. Representative Kelly Paella is an independent from Londonderry who also represents the towns of Andover, Weston, and Winhall. Both were elected in 2016 and began serving in 2017, and they both are on the House Committee on Human Services. Noyes has a lifetime environmental voting record of 98%, while Paella has a 79%. Welcome to the podcast, Representative Paella, and welcome back, Representative Noyes. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Representative Noyes, you showed me around the streets of Johnson back in July, and we witnessed property owners still cleaning up two weeks after the event. Uh, efforts took a long time, and things appear almost back in order, at least from outward appearances. But I know there's still a lot that has yet to, to go back to normal, like uh, the lack of a downtown grocer. How is the town doing? So we're definitely, you know, recovering. Um, things happen slow. Recovery is a very slow process. Um, you know, in terms of rebuilding our supermarket, um, I guess they've signed a contract with a different uh, supermarket provider, you know, food provider um and they're working on uh redoing the store um the flood that we had in december 
came right up to the top of their flood wall that they have there. And um, I don't think it set them back any, but it definitely um, is a really strong indication that this is going to happen again. And, you know, we have to really think about resiliency and being able to, to deal with this. In our um, mobile home park down the street um, from the grocery store, a number of the trailers are, are not going back in. A number of these homes are not going back. And they're just in really low-lying area. And, um, you know, that process is taking time. There's some homeowners that are working with FEMA on buyouts. And it's just a long process that, you know, is probably never going to make people whole. But at least we can start looking at where people are housed and when this floods again, which it will, um, you know, hopefully we won't have people that will be as adversely affected. Um, and there, But there will be. I mean, there are homes on some of the streets that were flooded that are, um, they're not, they're not being bought out. They're um, still in that floodplain, that 100-year floodplain or 500-year floodplain. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can figure out um, how, uh, how to help those folks when it, it floods again. You know, I think that Vermonters are resilient and um, hopefully we can, um, we can help them get through this. But it, is, uh, it definitely has set people back for sure. Yeah. Representative Payella, I originally asked you to be on our last episode without actually knowing that you yourself were personally impacted by the flooding. Uh, you understandably had your, your hands full, uh, and I'm glad that you could join today because you offer such a valuable perspective, not only as someone who had to evacuate and had to deal with damages to your home, but also as a longtime resident of this flood-prone region and as town clerk of Londonderry. How are you doing and how's your district doing? Uh, I personally am doing much better than when you were trying to reach out in July. Um, since the flood, we spent some time sleeping on couches of friends who were nice enough to to offer us their, their home. Um, and we ended up moving back into the apartment that had been flooded. And uh, after the, the first you know, a significant rainstorm that happened uh, after moving back in there. I quickly realized that for my mental health and the mental health of my, my children, uh, we needed to just find somewhere else to live. Um, that the challenges of continuing to live in the floodplain uh, were just too, too much. And so we have since moved into a new apartment, which is on higher ground and further away from the river. And um, I, I have um, experienced in the December flooding that when your family is safe, you're able to do a whole lot more to help other people. Um, and so I, I, I think that one of my big takeaways is that expecting people to continually live in um, places where there will be repeated trauma for them, whether it be a residence or a business, uh, is uh, something that we should not be encouraging, <laughs> that it, anything that we can do to help people move themselves and, and either their livelihood or their, their loved ones out of harm's way uh, is really uh, a 
better investment for individuals and for communities, because I uh, really think that as long as communities are in a cycle of continually having to clean up after disasters and rebuild after disasters, uh, they're, they're never going to move forward and find ways to thrive. So my community has, uh, we had a couple of businesses that just finally reopened in the last couple of weeks. Um, there are some buildings that it appears will no longer house businesses. Um, most of the apartments that were in the flood zone are some of whom were able to be continually lived in and, and some weren't, but I think that they're all full now. Um, I would say that one of the longer term challenges aside from rebuilding places that were damaged was that there was a pretty big impact to water quality to um, houses that were immediately along the river that individual wells um, were for quite some time uh, not necessarily able to be safe drinking water, um, which I think surprised a lot of people. You know, that was a, in, in the immediate aftermath, there was definitely a need for potable water and um, the fact that that stretched on for much longer than, uh, you know, just how long it took for you to pump out your basement was a surprise to some people. Um, so yet again, a, a reason to move infrastructure out of the floodplain when we can. Um, the flood that happened in December was a, you know, a, a really poignant reminder that uh, rebuilding in the same spot is something that we really need to take a hard look at. Um, flood water is going to go where flood water wants to go, and unless we provide space for it to to ex be in a space that is safe <laughs> for humans, um, it's going to continue to, to do damage to infrastructure. So um, my hope is that as we get back into the legislative session that we really start to talk about helping communities and property owners look at um, their individual risk and the community risk and start to identify places that we might be able to focus development that is not in the floodplain. I know that won't be possible in all areas and, and some other challenges will be where else we can encourage stormwater to to be in the event of these large flooding events. But um, uh, I think the rebuilding the in, in the same location in uh, a lot of places is not going to be the good long-term answer. Yeah, it was it was pretty clear with the with the session resuming that flood resiliency would be at the top of, of everyone's minds. Uh, we find ourselves in this interesting situation, like you said. We you know we want to promote dense walkable village centers and downtowns that are vibrant, where we can site new housing amidst this housing shortage that we have in Vermont. But we're also faced with this realization that so many of our village centers are in those low-lying low floodplains. So how are members of the legislature, including yourselves, of course, approaching these conversations? And, and how much are the recent flooding events influencing and, and shaping the policy this session? I, I can take that first, if that's OK with Dan. <laughs> um, I think you know, the, the terms 
climate change and resiliency are going to be at the top of of everybody's minds. Uh, I spent some time in uh, Senate economic development and and housing um, this week, testifying and having a couple of members of my um, communities testify about their experience of the flood and their current experience of of starting to have the conversations about planning for mitigation and um, what their needs are around technical assistance and expertise and uh, you know how do we go through the process of deciding where development should be and where floodwaters can be and what we can do um, to existing infrastructure that is in or along the river to mitigate the effects of flooding. So um, I particularly would like to see um, money and expertise be able to be approached from a more regional um, perspective. And if we can have communities that are in the same uh, watershed find ways of working together, maybe not in all instances, but um, you know, this is, the, the water doesn't care if it's going over a town line or a county line. Um, and the more communities are able to work together and the more we as a state are able to provide regional supports and resources, I think the, the better the outcomes will be because we, none of us is an island in this. Um, sorry for the, the pun, um, but um, you know, we, we, we really are going to need people to look at the problem holistically. And I think we're going to need to provide financial resources for um, doing studies of the floodplain and making information about development and the floodplain digestible so that municipalities can make informed decisions. And, and right now it's really hard to find all of the information that you need to be looking at um, to, to know if your community is, uh, you know, we can stay where we are and we can do things in other places along the river to, to mitigate flooding in our villages, or if maybe your village should be looking at moving away from the river. And um, those are all really hard, emotional, painful conversations to have. But without having underlying data, um, we're never going to move the issue forward. Yeah, Dan, do you have anything to add on that? or? Well, you, I think your question was, will we be talking about it this legislative session? I think we're going to be talking about it for many legislative sessions to come. Because though it was um, Representative Paella and my communities, as well as Barry and Montpelier that were flooded in this last storms, um, you know, we look to Irene, it was Granville and Hancock and, you know, Bethel. It, it's very regional. Vermont is crisscrossed with many rivers and uh, it's going to be a different community next time. But um, sadly, it, there will be a next time. And so to your question, we're going to be talking about this for a long time. Yeah, agreed. And these projects take a long time. This isn't fast moving work, <laughs> sadly. It would be nice if it was, but yeah, I know. I know in my town of Cambridge, which is just downstream from Johnson, uh, we've raised. You know, this is in since 
2012, uh, when we had our last major flooding event, uh, we've raised some secondary roads, we've installed larger culverts under Vermont Route 15, uh, we've replaced bridges to allow for more water flow underneath them, and we've even conserved open land in our villages. Uh, what are some of the ways that your communities and your districts have or are now considering infrastructural change to, to curb the devastation for, for the next event? Uh, well, uh, Londonderry in particular, after Irene, had five um, hazard mitigation buyout properties. So we took down five buildings, four in the North Village and one in the South Village, um, which was the right thing to do. That didn't do anything to lessen the degree to which the villages flooded. It just meant that there were no longer houses there to be damaged when the floodwaters came through. Um, the last couple of years, there has been a lot of conversation about the removal of uh, a dam that's in the North Village that is not a flood control dam. It is just a, a run of the river dam. Um, and it appears to be one of the factors that contributes to flooding in the North Village. Uh, I know the Village of Weston has a dam that since July, they are looking at to see what uh, impact it is having for flooding in their village. And those are the those are the obvious things, right? Like those are the things that we can easily point to because we can witness what happens at those those locations when there's water. Um, I suspect some of the solutions are, things that we're not yet aware of, you know, areas where, as you said, you had, there was open land in the village that is now being used as floodplain. Um, I think my communities haven't wrapped their arms around where those areas might be, but I think those are the types of things that will be crucial for, for us to look at. Dan, anything to add? Yeah. Um you know, I think our regional planning commission will really look at uh, encroachments to the floodplain. They have a lot of um, data that they collected looking at aerial photography or drones or whatever footage of the flood. And, you know, in the future, really trying to look at removing those barriers so that the river does have access to more floodplain. In the past, we've really dropped down the rail trail when they built the um when they built the railroad through, they would just build it up, which really limited access to the to the floodplain for the river. And I think that um, in the future, there'll be, you know, 2020 hindsight, trying to look and see where they can give more access upstream and also um, really look at how we can keep the water out of the river um, through proper culverts and road ditching and, um, you know, it's a it's a multifaceted um plan that you know you really got to look at how it moving forward how you're going to make it um a better um how you're going to deal with it better in the future yeah lastly since this is the the first episode of our new season and we're just a week into the year and um, i'm curious it doesn't have to be environmental or democracy focused but what's a policy that you're most looking forward to seeing get past this session Uh, Flavor tobacco, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit that. <laughs> I, I'm 
I am actually really looking forward to seeing what we can do around this topic in particular, which is simply because it's at the top of my mind and at, at the top of the minds of, of the communities that I represent, um, which seems like an easy answer. I know there, there are other uh, really important things that we will tackle, but um, for me, that's where my focuses and where my hope is that is that the resources that people on the ground are asking for very loudly will <laughs> um, be made available to them so that they can continue in in what is going to be a, a hard and long process so we have an existing program called medicare savings which helps people who are transitioning from medicare I'm sorry, from Medicaid to Medicare. This is an existing program. We have not looked at the eligibility requirements in a number of years. And what's happening is individuals, older Vermonters, individuals with disabilities, find themselves having to pay uh, $300 a month for health care for having just received a $30 increase in their Social Security. They can't give that back. They're kind of stuck in this situation where we, the legislature, needs to look at the eligibility for a lot of these um, for this particular program so that people these are really low-income Vermonters um, have access to health care and it doesn't bankrupt them um, I also am really interested in um, of course flooding um, mitigation in my community or state colleges are very important uh, in our community but also um, I'm um, working on some legislation around baby bonds um, that looks at intergenerational poverty and how we can help um, people born uh, onto Medicaid, onto Dr. Dinosaur, um, have a future that they can look forward to with access to post-secondary education, the ability to have some uh, income to start a, a business or to buy a home. Um, this is really looking at um, how people in rural communities can escape intergenerational poverty. Lots of lots of work to get done. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for Thanks. not only your service, but for, for having the time carved out of your busy week to, to speak with me and, and my listeners. So appreciate it, as always, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your session. I can't wait to see you around the State House. For yeah, sure. Thanks my so pleasure. Thank us. you. Thanks for having us. I want to thank our guests, Representative Dan Noyes, Representative Kelly Payella, and of course, Lauren Hurl for assisting me. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at VoteGreenVT, YouTube and Instagram at VT Conservation Voters, and you can find us on Facebook as well. You can subscribe to our emails, see our legislative environmental scorecard, and learn more about our work and policies by visiting our brand new website, vermontconservationvoters.org. If you have an idea for a story or want to provide feedback, you can email me at jmarsh at vermontconservationvoters.org. We will be back next week with the recipients of our Rising Star Awards, Senator Ann Watson and Representative Mike Rice. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>